Armed American Radio listeners, today's Armed American Radio's recorded version of the national radio broadcast, the Armed American Radio podcast, is being brought to you today and every day by North American Arms. Make sure to visit NorthAmericanArms.com for the finest mini revolvers on planet Earth. NorthAmericanArms.com. Enjoy the show. American Radio's Daily Defense. Armed American Radio's Daily Defense, because they don't want me to, that's why I do it. Presented by X-Insurance. X-Insurance. From the Sig Sauer Studios, on the Daniel Defense Platinum Microphone. They're never going to stop us here. Here is your host, the loudest conservative voice in America fighting the enemies of freedom, Mark Walters. Actually, Mark is in Las Vegas right now. I know he's touched down because he did text me and let me know he got there okay. My name is Bill Frady. I am the host of a a, a, a lineup of radio shows, Lock and Load with Bill Frady, Gun Owners. Gun Owners News Hour and Straight Talk with Bill Frady in Greenville, South Carolina. So this week is going to be me and you because Mark's going to be walking around and just soaking up the atmosphere of SHOT Show. And I, on the other hand, decided not to go to SHOT Show this year. So, you know. (laughs) So, we have the Uvalde report that just came out. First thing first, the Uvalde report that just came out is ridiculous because it took 600 page it took them this long to get out 600 pages and I guess to figure out what went wrong there. And the part that is bugging me the most about it is in Texas they uh they have armed teachers in Texas. But they did not in Uvalde in the in what is it Rob School or whatever the district is because they had the Uvalde Police Department to handle anything that might happen there, and of course something happened and they didn't handle it. And what continues to fuel my frustration with these repeated rampage killings that happen in schools is after Columbine we shouldn't have had another one. We should not have had another one. We should have learned from that mistake, understood the idea that in order to stop these kinds of things from happening, that we were going to have to put weapons in place, people in place with weapons. We've done it for everything else. Do it for churches. Do it for banks. Do it for sporting events. I mean, all kinds of things. Even have them on airplanes now. And yet, we won't do it for schools. Now, uh, you know, ultimately, it would come down to the parent, you would think, to ensure their kid's safety and security. But we have to turn them over to school, right? At a certain age, they're going to school, so they're going to be left at school. And then we have to rely on the school officials to do that on site. And unfortunately, some don't. Some are too lazy to ensure that the, uh, you know, the exterior doors are secure or others suffer from a mental denial that anything bad would ever happen at their school and denial does not bring any real survival value with it and even if they mean well not all school administrators have the expertise in safety and security although it is it is something that can be taught and trained into somebody 
Now, in various places, they do have armed teachers. And where they have armed teachers and they actually have a plan and a program of things set up, if they have communications and everything, um, that is really the only way to stop a school rampage here. Coming out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee, we saw the best possible result that could have been out of that. 14-minute response time from the first call to Audrey Hale being shot down. Uvalde, Texas, though, they had a no-guns policy. They still have it, too. Prohibiting staff from having guns, even though Texas law allows it. They also had a school police force, but they prioritized their own safety over the lives of children they were paid to protect. We've seen this before in Parkland. It's not a new thing. They did not follow widely accepted protocols for dealing with an active shooter. And as a result, kids who didn't have to die bled out while the police waited 75 minutes just outside the door to take out the killer. If you look at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, the crime scene, yeah, it looks like there was a firefight that took place there. And uh, they were, you know, according to the Washington Times, they're referring to things that happened there as cascading failures. The police waited too long to confront the gunman. They acted with no urgency to establish a command post and communicated inaccurate information to grieving families. And would not let other people go in there and do what they wanted to do to try to save their children. So, this report coming from the Department of Justice, which is a very comprehensive report, but, you know, it shows the shortcoming of relying on somebody else to show up when something bad goes sideways. It's never going to be fast to make a phone call to stop a rampage killer. A rampage killer has one thing, one advantage over anything else we might try to do to defend it in that we're now waiting on somebody to get on site to fight this person. If we had them on site already, they would fight this person, but more likely the person would never show up. The rampage killer. The terrified students were inside the classrooms calling 911. Parents wanted to go in. Merrick Garland, who's, you know, far from a far from an authority figure for me, he said, had law enforcement agencies followed generally accepted practices in active shooter situations and gone right after the shooter and stopped him, lives would have been saved and people would have survived, which proves once again that a, even a broken clock can be right twice a day. Now, there was an earlier report by the Texas lawmakers. Uh, they faulted law enforcement at every level with failing to prioritize saving lives over their own safety. This attack killed 21 people, 19 children, two staff members. So then we can look at this, and a lot of us are going there for the, you know, Except for the intervention of God, there go I. And yet, despite these deficiencies and everything else, uh, Rob Elementary and Uvalde still does not allow guns in schools. Now, heightened security. You know, nobody likes heightened security until the wolf gets to the door. 
Unlocking a door every time instead of propping them open, that takes more effort than some people are willing to expend. Teaching staff not to hold open a door for unknown people as a courtesy. Right? Don't want to do it. So, you know, when you go to your kid's school, look at their security protocol. And if they don't have one, maybe you ought to have a, a discussion with them. Even the NRA has a school shield program, which it's a great apolitical springboard to have those discussions. But they're responsible. The school administrators are responsible and accountable for your children's safety. And if they're not going to make that a priority, that's going to be a problem. But the harder the target, the less likely a bad guy will recreate another Parkland or Uvalde. In your hometown. So find out if, number one, has your school ever had a vulnerability assessment done? Two, does your school work with local law enforcement and emergency responders? Three, what is your emergency, uh, what what is their, their plan? Four, what types of drills are conducted and at what frequency? Five, are all exterior doors of the school locked during instructional hours? Just go down the line. The big one, do they have designated security personnel assigned to your school? And if so, are they armed or unarmed? This is one of those things that we, uh, you know, we have, we ignore this at our own peril. It is absolutely a very rare occurrence, no matter what the gun violence archive might say. The rampage shooting of the type that is Columbine or Virginia Tech or Parkland or Uvalde or, you know, Newtown, those things are very, very rare. But they are very, very heinous, and yet they continue to occur because we're taking no action. There's nothing uniform being done. Too many people are sitting back. Too many people are squeamish. They want to get out there and say, I can't, you know, I, I can't believe that we have to introduce guns into the, uh, you know, into the educational environment. You better get used to it because this is a new day. This is a new day altogether. And there's no way to get around it. There's no way to uh, to take any shorts, you know, a shortcut to it. It's going to take making the schools a hard target, making it prohibitive to go in and try to get your, you know, your 15 minutes of fame. Until they do that, this will happen again. This will happen again. Bear that in mind. Going to wait on, you know, Mr. Walters is having a good time, so it's just going to be me and you. Be right back. Defense firearms are guaranteed for life, trusted worldwide, and designed, engineered, and manufactured right here in America. Daniel Defense, freedom, passion, precision. Shot show week, which means Mark isn't here, so there's me. My name is Bill Frady. I will. I, I have the pleasure of hosting Mark's show this week, and uh, well, 
Let's talk about, let, let's do a little movie, a little movie comparison. Who's seen Glen Gary, Glen Ross, where they get out of ABC, always be closing, always be closing. Well, I actually have an adaptation for that one. Mine is always be carrying, always be carrying, always be carrying. Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what, uh, in, in, the, in my state of South Carolina where I live, if I come up on a gun-free zone sign, it has the force of law behind it. However, there are a few things that I can check out to make sure they actually are within compliance. And if they're not, well, then guess what? They're not. And then it no longer has the force of law. But I do not go in anywhere except courthouses, police departments, or anything like that where, they're, where I'm going to be disarmed. Um, and there's a reason for that. You know, I, I have these, uh, I feel like I've got an obligation to my family, right? To my grandchildren, for example, not because I'm great or anything, just because they want me to be there. So I have an obligation to be there, to, uh, to, to, to be attentive to them, to be aware of the fact that I have to keep myself here. And we owe it to them to be there for them. So how do I improve my likelihood of this, actually, of being there for them? And that's to always be caring. Now, there's a couple of things that, uh, you know, go along with that. Training would be a really good thing. Training is a, is a, is, is a, it, it's one of those things that, um, well, it's a little bit like making sure the door is locked. Training to draw your weapon, training to shoot moving and all this other stuff. Those kind of repetitions, those kind of uh, those kind of uh, muscle memory things that you build up and develop over time will serve you well. And it's the way the military does stuff. Military, uh, the people in the military are not highly trained. It's just it has to do more with repetition and getting these, you know, these steps in your head and understanding this is the way it's going to be. And that and you work that way. But always be carrying. Always carry a weapon wherever you can. You don't ever want to leave. The other thing is I, I don't want to leave a gun in the car. I don't want to leave a gun in the car because that's, you know, when, when, when they kick in their went, your door, they're going to be looking in your console, in your, uh, in your glove compartment. Even if you got it locked, they're going to try to get into it. And I know a great many people that go out and go through the process of getting a permit and just never carry a gun. You don't want to go make it to the you know pearly gates and have St. Peter say, why didn't you have your carry gun on you the night you were delivering firewood to those people in Fort Worth? Which brings me to my object lesson. A guy named Scotty Jackson had the misfortune of running into the wrong naked man as he was delivering firewood ahead of the winter storm that hit most of the U.S. last week. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, what is the danger of a naked man? And a naked man outside in freezing weather? <laughs> well, first of all, if you come up on a, a naked man in freezing weather, your first thought, the first thought to enter your 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 pattern is uh, there's something amiss here. Unless you're on the set of an adult film production, maybe. But you, what you want to do is you want to try to avoid this person and de-escalate as rapido as possible. And if a 27-year-old guy named uh, Chrysantis Omande picks up a log 
from the pile of freshly stacked firewood, you should treat him like a very potentially deadly threat. See, the problem with certain terminologies as we hear them today, we hear, we hear the term a lot, assault weapon. An assault weapon is actually a descriptor for whatever it is I use to assault you. If I'm out and I'm checking my mail and I look at you and you're blocking my mailbox, I might pull my mailbox out of the ground and start beating you with it. And then guess what? The mailbox is the assault weapon. There is no class of weapons out there designed to be assault weapons. Uh, An assault weapon is largely something that is used to assault you with. So it can be anything. And uh, it could be even a, a piece of firewood. A piece of firewood. Now, we're just talking about school shootings. And your kids are two and a half times more likely to die from being clubbed to death with a hammer than becoming a shooting fatality in or on their way to school. And if you see anybody acting outside that baseline of normalcy in any given environment, you got to give them extra scrutiny just in case things slide further sideways. You have to be aware. And you have to do your best to put the distance and uh, whatever obstacles you can between you and the potential threat. That gives you time. And time gives you option, as does distance gives you options. Options mean safety. And a lot of people, for whatever reason, will just simply ignore their intuition and common sense and dismiss a naked lunatic holding a dog as probably nothing instead of a potentially deadly threat. And then you might end up like Scotty Jackson did, which was dead, killed by a lunatic with a hunk of firewood. And that should have been a defensive gun use. So, and we get this from NBC uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. 27-year-old Crisantis Omande is charged with murdering Scotty Jackson on Wendover Drive while Jackson was out delivering firewood before last week's winter storm. Casey Dillon told NBC5 that her father, Scotty Jackson, was crazy in a good way, an outgoing, hardworking man who chopped and delivered firewood in Fort Worth to earn extra money. He always told me, I just want to make sure everybody has firewood. They're warm. Their family's not cold. Then when the forecast showed severe cold, Dillon said Jackson was out on Saturday night making last-minute deliveries. She was supposed to give him a ride home, but she never heard from him even the next day. And then later that night, my mom sent me an article, and it said delivery man killed one injured and suspect in custody. And that's how she found out her dad was gone at the hands of a lunatic. The witness told NBC5 as Scotty was handing me a piece of firewood, and I was putting it into a wheelbarrow. As I turned to my left, I just noted this naked black man just showed up out of nowhere. He was screaming and aggressive, and he shoved him to the ground. And uh, the witness said, as I'm falling backward, I see he picks up a piece of firewood and hauls off and hits Scotty in the head. He then tried to attack the, uh, the, uh, the witness as well. So this is why I say... Always be carrying. You do not know. You're never going to know. You can't possibly know what's coming around the bend. Whenever something fragments that sense of normalcy, that's when you got it. I mean, and if you're going to, uh, if you're going to be out there, you got to be aware. 
which unfortunately this guy was not. We'll be right back. This is Daily Defense. I'm Bill Frady. We'll be right back. segment of Armed American Radio is being brought to you by Defender Coffee. When you drink Defender Coffee, you're making a donation to a gun rights organization of your choice that protects and defends your freedoms. Welcome back to the show. They have night vision nowadays. In the 80s, we didn't have night vision. We had coffee, so coffee is very good for the visual purple. This is Daily Defense. Uh, Mark is in, uh, in Las Vegas right now. And it'll be me and you this week. My name is Bill Frady. I, I am um, my uh, my show is called Lock and Load with Bill Frady, amongst some others I do. In January of 1985, Sol Wachler, then the newly minted chief judge of the New York City Court of Appeals, commented to the New York Daily News that prosecutors in his state could, by and large, get grand juries to indict a ham sandwich. <laughs> and to date, in New York right now, of course, uh, the ham sandwiches are all for, still free. They're still, well... I guess it turns. It, it, it just depends on uh, where you're getting the ham sandwich. Spirit of it, though, the spirit of the maxim that district attorneys can usually secure an indictment regardless of a case's merits, has attracted some modern-day supporters with the prosecution of Daniel Penny. See, now, in, Dan, in Daniel Penny's case, in, in lovely New York, in Gotham, he can't always be carrying because... They're the ones that came out with the whole idea of the Bruin, Bruin response law. And they have Bruin response laws. And every, they, they keep getting slapped down and everything else. But, I mean, Daniel Penny was just out there. He didn't have a gun or anything. He just defended himself against what he perceived to be a threat. And that's, see, where I live, right, where I live, once again, go back to South Carolina. I'm not fettered or inhibited by the same kind of things cops can are. Cops can are whatever, you know, grammatically incorrect. However, that may be you get the gist. I've had open heart surgery. I'm in my 60s. Um, my bar on where I can make a determination of imminent bodily harm or death is low. It is very low. So in that particular case, if I perceive that to be the case in this state where I live, we have something called castle doctrine where wherever I can legally be, I can defend myself as long as I'm not committing a crime. They don't have that in New York. And Daniel Penny was where he could be. He was in the subway and uh, some uh, Michael Jackson impersonator, they say, Jordan Neely. He came diddy bopping up on him and started threatening passengers. And he responded by restraining him by and they, they keep calling it. They keep misnaming it as a chokehold. That's not a chokehold. If what I'm seeing in the video is all that happened, uh, Jordan Neely was never choked. As a matter of fact, when he let him go and put him in the recovery position, he was still awake. But when they took him to the hospital there, he was pronounced dead. And now it's become this litmus test 
for how you feel about crime and homelessness and the right to self-defense. Now, is Daniel Penny a vigilante? Or is he a ham sandwich? Uh, (laughs) And listen, the whole thing about vigilanteism, right? Vigilante is a form of the word vigilant. It just means you're watching out. Using the, the, the term vigilante is not a, should not be a derogatory. If that's the case, then anybody that's out there that's aware of things, we're all vigilantes. Now, testimony given to the grand jury provided by witnesses on that subway car puts a little more nuance into a debate that's primarily been colored, colored by a viral video taken by a freelance journalist who'd been on the train. Neatly comes Diddy bopping uh, up to somebody, according to person number nine, a high school student, saying someone is going to die today. He testified she started to pray that doors would open so she and her classmate could get away. He threatened that he would kill anyone who was willing to take a bullet, said person number four, a retiree. Two more witnesses added that Neely had assumed a fighting stance and another witness, person number 18, a mom who was taking a young son to a therapy appointment, recounted that Neely was making half-lunge movements and coming within half a foot of people. The retiree said, I've been riding the subway for many years. I've encountered many things, but nothing that put fear into me like that. On the flip side, the video taken by journalist Juan Alberto Vasquez captures a passenger telling Penny he might catch a murder charge if he continued because he had a hell of a chokehold. He said, my wife is ex-military. You're going to kill him now. I don't know exactly what kind of bona fides that is to get out there and say anybody. I know somebody that was in the military. You're going to kill him. Yeah. Now, Penny is also a veteran. And the thinking goes is that he should have known when to release Neely. However, since he didn't have him in a chokehold, it didn't matter. And according to several Marine veterans uh, interviewed by Business Insider, all of whom said that training focuses not on the safety of a subject, but the safety of innocent bystanders whose lives may be in danger. Once you make the decision to intervene, the only thing you can do is hold on until help arrives, said a former senior officer who opted to remain anonymous. We don't place a heavy emphasis on knowing when to let up to ensure your opponent survives, added Alex Hollings, a former Marine black belt who of the four was the most critical of Penny's actions. He should have been able to assess that his opponent was no longer providing any kind of resistance, and at that point he should have known that Neely was unconscious. Of course, we are talking about a fight most people aren't thinking at all. Let anyone thinking straight during one, let alone thinking straight, excuse me. So... It will be up to a jury now to determine if the recklessness that he describes rises to a criminal level. And reckless is going to be the key word. Under New York law, Penny is guilty of second-degree manslaughter if he recklessly calls the death of Neely, despite being aware of and consciously disregarding a substantial and unjustifiable risk that such result would occur. For the criminally negligent homicide charge, he is guilty if he caused Neely's death after he failed to perceive a substantial and unjustifiable risk that such result will occur. So one gets him four years and the other could get him 15. And then there's those of us who think his prosecution is unjust, that he has been ham sandwiched. And, uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm taking comfort in the fact that his, his uh, jury at trial will be tasked with evaluating his case with a much higher standard of proof than his grand jury was. But when you consider another criminal justice cliche, the process is the punishment. That's where certain things come into play. Now, here's the thing. In and this is this is a very sad testimony. In certain jurisdictions, this is just going to be the way it is. In certain in certain jurisdictions, they are pro criminal, right? They have decriminalized stuff. This guy uh, Jordan Neely, he should have been somewhere. He should have been put into some some somewhere already. He should have been institutionalized already. But no. Not in New York, where we decriminalize crime. So he's out there. He's allowed to diddy bop up to people and threaten them and lunge at them and everything else. I mean, around here, he, you know, I, I see certain things like that happen when people are inebriated and everything. And there's going to be some people that are going to say, oh, but Bill, he was uh, mentally ill, don't you know? And uh, well, that may very well be. However, where do you draw the line? Now, I started out by talking about rampage killers. Anybody that goes into a school and shoots up children, he is mentally ill. And that doesn't mean that you don't deal with him if you have to deal with him. That, that is not what that means. That means when the time comes and you deal with him and you do the after-action review, you try to figure out why this mentally ill person was able to be out there in the first place threatening all these people. So... We'll see how this turns out. We should pay close attention to it, but at the same time, there's going to be certain jurisdictions in the United States today where you just don't need to be, you know, if you, if you get out there and defend something, you're probably going to get in trouble. This is Daily Defense. We'll be right back. segment of Armed American Radio's Daily Defense is being brought to you by Daniel Defense. Visit DanielDefense.com. Now, back to the show. Well, Mr. Walters is somewhere in Vegas right now getting his badge and settling in, and I hope everything is going good for him. Shot Show is always a big time. And I think this year he's going to do a little mingling, so we'll see how that works out for him. I think, I'm sure he'll check in with us sometime this week. We'll see. We somehow managed to get through Christmas and New Year's Eve without a terrorist attack, which is that that amazed me. That really, truly amazed me that that happened because I sort of expected something to happen. But now the question has to become, what are they waiting for? Right now, the FBI has admitted they're watching at least 300 people on the terrorist watch list. Never mind how 300 people on the terrorist watch list came to be in the country to begin with so that they could be watched in the first place. That's all on a need to know, and you don't have a need to know. 
No, the security apparatus has also admitted thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of military-aged males from countries that would, like every American dead, and they've crossed the border, and they, you know, Iran, Afghanistan, Syria, many others, and a lot of Chinese who might just be members of the Chinese military. We don't know because they're gotaways. And that's the military-aged males with whom they briefly chatted before giving them free rides on buses or jets to their preferred destination. And there's all kinds of other gotaways, people they saw but didn't chat with or give free rides, and even more they never saw. The Mexican cartels, they have arrangements with hostile states. They, they, they spirit unseen foreign agents and terrorists across the border. They smuggle their equipment and weapons and documents and other terrorist essentials across the border, also unseen. They coordinate with them in our cities and towns, providing intelligence, vehicles, and whatever else they need, including weapons. And because of that, they don't need to steal guns or buy them on the black market. Cartels deliver automatic weapons, grenades, and more. They're sort of like a cartel-slash-terrorist UPS. So there is no question that well-equipped terrorists armed with intelligence and gathering more are present across the country. And if they're smart, and they're at least that smart, they're in every state. They're planning. And they're waiting. Now, of course, the question can then become, how could this be true? Well, the current resident of the White House, the mummified meat puppet, has admitted that they're here and they might maybe sort of kind of be a terrorist national security problem. And that's what the meat puppet tells us. The border, you know, he's also telling us it's totally secure, so don't worry about national security. So which is it? He also tells us that it's all under control and Bidenomics works. He thinks the Afghanistan withdrawal was a stunning success. And he thinks that he himself has had accomplishments as the resident. This is the meat puppet who thinks Donald Trump, normal Americans, and climate change are the greatest threats to our democracy, which doesn't exist. If they're willing to admit that there might be a risk of terrorist attacks, they're certain we're going to be hit and not in a small way. They're covering their chair-borne posteriors, and they're trying to figure out how to avoid blaming the coming attacks on our enemies, particularly our Islamist enemies. And they're also trying to figure out how to blame Donald Trump, white supremacists, and racism. Now, these guys, these guys that are here, these guys have experience. They have watched many attacks. The Mumbai attack. They watched that when they realized the the strengths and the weaknesses of the Mumbai attack. The uh, Nairobi Westgate Mall, you know, that attack. They realized the strengths and the weaknesses of that attack. So we probably won't be seeing another 9-11 spectacle. Not altogether impossible, but not very necessarily likely. The best way to strike terror into the American heart would be many smaller attacks, sort of like Mumbai where they strike many vulnerable targets simultaneously in multiple or all states at the same time. Think about that. Think about 10 two-man teams in each big city of each state springing their attack at about the same time. And just think about the news that we, we get out of that one. Just think about, you know, 
where they might hit, you know, a theater in Minneapolis, a park in Chicago, grocery store in Fargo, Times Square in North Carolina, or excuse me, New York City, North Carolina, school in Tulsa. We got nothing but soft targets. We are just every school known, just about, except for Texas and Pennsylvania, or Ohio, excuse me. So the best targets are blue states that have defunded, demonized, depopulated, and demoralized their police forces. These are the very states whose politicians and populations are most likely to support open borders and the Islamist terrorists of October the 7th. They will also be the first choice. Because one, they're population centers. So what a great way to go. We're going to get out there and we're just going to just tear a bunch of things up. The death, you know, the death toll is going to be high. You got more sophisticated actors like Chinese agents and troops. They will probably engage in sabotage. They take down electric grids, poison water supplies, shut down the Internet and the broadcast lines. There's also the possibility of broad, you know, biological warfare that can't be ruled out. But once again, the question becomes, what are they waiting for? Are their plans not yet complete? Are they waiting to coordinate here with attacks on our overseas troops and facilities? Are they waiting to coordinate attacks here with attacks on our allies like Israel? Do they want to wait for attacks on Taiwan, South Korea, or Eastern European nations? Or are they just waiting for the best opportunity, a time when America will be the most distracted, most likely to be caught unaware, like, you know, say the Super Bowl, for example? Surely you would think that the security apparatus is on the case because they're watching those uh, terrorist watch list suspects, right? No, they're not doing that. Uh, recently, the uh, attorney for the District of Columbia, Matthew Graves, suggested that law enforcement will soon target those who just stood outside the Capitol on January the 6th, 2021. I don't know what they will charge them with. Standing outside the Capitol, I guess, would be the, the only charge they could possibly bring up on them. But, and there's a statute of limitations for this fast approaching. So the National Security Guardians are desperate to arrest thousands of Americans who were just there. You would hope that they've assigned at least one agent to try to figure out who the terrorists are, where they are, what they're planning, and why they're waiting. But I'm not so sure that's actually what's going on. So, now, as for me and you on Daily Defense this week, it'll be me. I'll be with you. And uh, I expect to hear Mr. Walters call in at some time, maybe Thursday, maybe, or who knows. He might call in tomorrow for all I know. I want to know what's going on at Shot Show. But listen, I appreciate uh, you guys taking the time to listen. Mark is a Mark is always fighting the good fight. I fight the good fight. And I'm happy to be fighting the good fight here with you. So I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. This is Daily Defense.
Prescription for Freedom with Mark Walters, presented by X-Insurance. X-Insurance. On the Armed American Radio Network. 